all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So if you can, get up out your seat and let's give Pastor Anthony Crawford a linked up church welcome. Amen. Oh, glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Please be seated. Glory to God. Amen. Absolute honor and privilege to be here with you uh, this morning. You all already know you have uh, some of the finest pastors in the land. Come on, come on. You can do better than that. Pastor Joel, Pastor Trish Gregory. Again, I've known them for, for a number of years and just been an absolute blessing. And here's a word that I love to use when it comes to describing them consistent just consistent some people just up and down up and down you don't know what you're gonna get from them from one day to the next but with them it's always consistently good amen amen praise God so we thank God for you all it's a privilege to be here in Jesus name how many of you know God is good all the time he is good so I do bring you greetings from sunny South Florida where Jesus is Lord God is good I know that's here in Atlanta too amen well, we bring you greetings there from Impact Church of South Florida. My, my lovely wife, praise God. We just finished celebrating 15 years, praise God, just a couple of weeks ago. So we're just uh, coming off a time of more honeymoon. We're still honeymooning, praise God, having a great time. And, of course, we got four children, my oldest son, uh, Anthony Dean II. He's 12 and uh, just uh, made it to the airport just in time yesterday because he had a football game yesterday afternoon. The dad life never ends, amen. Absolutely enjoyed. He had a football game, and our daughter, who's 10 years old, she cheerleads as well. And then uh, my twin boys, uh, they also play flag football, so it's always an active household, praise God. But we bring you greetings, and uh, we are certainly glad to be here. I also want to just recognize some family, praise God, that came out uh, on this morning as well. I got my brother and sister here, Kevin and Melissa Thompson. I think they made me see. There they go. They, amen. Good to see you. Would you give them a hand, praise God? Amen. And then I also have my, my first cousins, I believe, that came out, praise God. I live here in the Atlanta area, Harold and Gloria uh, Moses, praise God, and family. Amen. Thank you all for, for both for being here, families. Amen. You all ready to get into something here? Come on, you got to sound better than that. Are you ready to get into something here? Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Let's just take a moment just to honor God. For the Lord is good. And his love endures. Yes, the Lord is good forever. And we shout it out from the mountain tops. Yes, the Lord is good forever. Father, that's the melody of our heart, for we recognize indeed you are good, you are awesome, you are superb, and we love you, sir. Thank you so much for loving us. We count it a privilege and an honor to be gathered together in this place today, not out of form or fashion, not out of tradition or religion, but out of love and covenant and connection with you. So we're trusting you now, sir, for freedom of utterance in the Holy Ghost. 
Words that are alive, explosive, dynamic, undeniable, that comes directly from you. That my speech and preaching will not be with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of your spirit and your power. We give you all glory, honor, and praise, and thank you in advance that it is so. In Jesus' wonderful name, if you agree, would you shout amen? Amen, praise God. High five three people around you. Say, let's go to work and let's get into it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to begin here in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, praise God. I like to use a few slides. It helps me, and I believe it will help you as well. So Luke chapter 15. Is where we want to begin on today. Dealing with the subject matter of the heartbeat of God. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 15. Even before I begin there, y'all ever heard my story about the chicken and the pig? Some of y'all may have, because some of y'all go back. But just in case you haven't, here, here, here it is. I, I love this. I think it illustrates such a wonderful point. Now, there was this chicken and pig on, on a farm. And one morning, the chicken woke up extra early, and he's cackling, making all kind of noise. And it's just waking up all the other farm animals. And, and finally, the pig has just had enough and says, look, man, what is going on? Why are you making all this noise? And the chicken says, look, I have been on a lot of farms, and this is by far the very best master owner I have ever had. The pig says, well, you know what? I got to agree with you. I've been a lot of places as well. And, and this, this master we have is by far the best that I've had also. The chicken's like, oh, wonderful. Finally, somebody that agrees with me. He says, look, Mr. Pig, why don't we do something special for our owner today? Pig says, all right, what you got in mind? Why don't we make him breakfast? Pig says, okay, what, what you want me to do? Chicken says, I'm going to bring the eggs and you bring the bacon. All of a sudden, then, the, the pig's countenance completely shifted. And the chicken said, what's wrong? He says, you don't understand, Mr. Chicken. For you to bring the eggs, that's a contribution. For me to bring the bacon, that's a commitment. I got to enter over into a place where I can't get back from. And see, now, this is what Almighty God has done with you and I. He makes no contributions to us. He's made a commitment for us. He's entered over into a place where he can't get back from. He laid everything down just for the opportunity to have a communion and connection with you and I, praise God. And whether we accept it or don't accept it, he says, I'm all in regardless. I'm not going anywhere. Now, here's a good side note. That's a good way to conduct marriage and family, like a pig, not a chicken, where you end over into a place where you can't get back from. See, when you function in family like a pig, where you go into this place where you lay it all down, therefore divorce would never be an option. You, you can love through anything. Why? Because you're already dead. Now, unfortunately, most people do marriage and family and do life on a chicken style. And some people I know are very great contributors. They contribute a lot. But at a certain point, you know, that, 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 that thing begins to creep up and somebody says, I ain't going to be a fool for nobody. That's chicken talk. All right, I'm going to get back over here now to Luke chapter 15. <laughs> Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Have you found Luke 15 yet? 
Amen. Let's begin at verse 1. Let's, let's begin to dig into this, the heartbeat of Almighty God. Verse 1 says this, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Boy. Huh. Verse 3, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, See, the heartbeat of God, this will be the next slide, is to connect with all mankind. No one left behind. Absolutely no one. Jesus, I love it in this way, doesn't discriminate. He's welcoming everyone unto him. So we see that the tax collectors, the sinners, they draw near to him to hear him. But it's the Pharisees and scribes, which was really representative of the religious people of the day. They're complaining about the company now Jesus is keeping, but they didn't understand the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God is we embrace everybody. We receive everybody. We welcome everybody. We want everybody. Blood's been shed not just for the church, but for everybody. Amen. Yeah, Amen. Praise God. So here... We, we have to recognize Jesus starts to go into something that is very dear to the heart of God in this whole chapter. And it says here, unfortunately, that he began to speak a parable unto him. He gives them really two parables and a story. Now, you have to understand why Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus didn't speak in parables to be deep. Jesus spoke in parables because he was being judicious with his words in his time. Because he understood that there were a group of people that were listening to him that really didn't want to receive from him. You go back to Matthew chapter 13, as he's dealing with the parable of the sower, he begins to uh, give that parable. And then the disciples come to him and says, you look, why you talk to these people like this? Why are you always talking to these people? Watch this in riddles and, you know, all these symbolic stories. And Jesus says, just, just to be short, you can go to Matthew chapter 13, this verse 15. He says, the reason why I do it, because their, their hearts are, are, are hardened. Uh, their, their, their ears are, are dull. Their eyes, they've closed. They, they don't want to hear this. So I don't waste a whole lot of time explaining to people that don't want to hear. And then on the flip side of that, he starts to explain to the disciples because they wanted to hear. Now, notice when you we look at these two groups of people that showed up here, it says that the tax collectors and the sinners, they drew up near to hear him. But now this, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're complaining about the company. So Jesus says, even though I got a group here that does want to hear, the, the ones that are complaining are the ones that don't. So I'm just going to give you all a parable here. But he begins, begins to explain something that is so very profound that we can never forget as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is uh, lost until he finds it? Isn't that interesting? Some people would be like, well, at least I got 99 left. I had 100, I got 99. That's not a bad ratio. Come on now, Pastor. But no, no, that's not the case. Jesus says here, where the kingdom of God works, it's just like this. You lose one sheep, you got to have that one. Says, and he keeps looking for that one sheep until he finds it. So there's this relentless effort, this relentless pursuit from the kingdom of God, always looking for those that belong to him. Whether you know it or not, all of us on this planet belong to the God of all creation. And he loves each and every one of us, and he is relentlessly pursuing us so that we continue to grow in our connection with him and grow in our connection with each other. You know we need each other. Boy, I should get a better amen that linked up on this, praise God. I said, well, you know we need each other? Absolutely, praise God. We do much better when we are together. When I'm by myself, I become a mess. 
I speak for me. I can't speak for y'all, but when, when, I, when I'm by myself, I come up with some of the, some, some of the, the, the most outlandish ideas. Somebody else know what I'm talking about, praise God. <laughs> praise God. It's good to have a good company, praise God, of believers just like here. Verse 5 says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven. Come on now, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So now when we compare now, you know, what brings, you know, the heart of God the most joy, it says here there's more joy in heaven over one who repents and reconnects with God than over 99 people who think they got it all together. God, God says, this does me so good. Verse 8 says, or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light up a, a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Have you ever been in a situation where you, 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 you needed uh, to pay for something, and you were just like one coin off? And, and you, so you start looking everywhere. You, you start looking, you know, in, in, the, in the car seats you know, down on the floor in that little area where stuff slipped through. You're looking in the couch. You're just looking like, I know it's another quarter around here somewhere. And you just start hunting for it. This begins to be the picture of the heart of God, that God says, any coin that is lost, I got to have it. And you and I become that precious coin to Almighty God. Verse 9 says, and when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, he goes into the third story now. A certain man had two sons. Now, th this, this particular story of the prodigal son that we've heard for years, it's really not about the prodigal son. It's really about how good the father is and reflection of the father that you and I have today. Verse 12 says, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Isn't it interesting here, as we look at some of the characters of a good father, and specifically our good father. Number one, we recognize this, that he respects our will and he respects our rights. That's one thing about God. God, God respects your right. God, God respects your right to do whatever it is you want to do. Now, clearly, God wants us to make, you know, certain choices that honor him. But because he's such a good father, he will always respect our right. There, there are times I know in my life I wish, he, I wish he would not have respected my right. I wish he would have made me do certain things. Anyone else want to testify in here? I, I wish the Lord would have been like, boy, stop it and come on over here. I wish he would have got me, praise God, would have saved me a whole lot of hardship. But he respects our rights. And with that, we notice that he's not controlling. See, the spirit of a good father is not controlling. Doesn't have to control us in order to lead us. See, there's a difference between sound leadership and control. I'll leave that alone for now. Hmm. 
I think for a long time as, as the church kind of worldwide, we've made a mistake. We, we have emphasized for so long trying to convince people to trust God rather than just simply presenting the facts that we have a good father who can always be trusted. Just recognize that he's a good dad. The trust factor is the natural response. I am a firm believer of this, that, that faith is really just a response to our love, or to, to God's love to us. At the end of the day, when you think about children, like I said, I have four. Their very first emotional response, and I'll use that term emotion, to us was not love. Their first response to us was one of trust because they didn't really understand what love is yet. As a little child, just like the, the, the little child that was being dedicated on today, he doesn't understand really the dynamic and, and the force of really what love is. All he understands is there are these people in this household that are always there. And when I get hungry, they respond. When I get tired, they respond. When something fill up my diaper, they respond. <laughs> All they know is that somebody is consistently always there and they develop this trust because now the parent obviously is displaying what? Love. And the child's initial response is, I trust you. I trust you because you have given me a history now of just how good you are. And therefore, I can trust you. See, it's no different in the kingdom. See, when you recognize just how good God is, the very first response is, ah, I trust you. This is why I believe, watch this, this is why I believe Abraham came to the place where he could now sacrifice his son Isaac. You know, he goes, he goes through a whole lot. And then finally, you would think after God talked to him about circumcision, and he circumcised himself and every male, you know, uh, child that was in his household. He still has mental issues about trusting. But at some place, I believe the light kicks on and says, you know what? I know I can trust this God who's talking to me because every outcome that he speaks to me about always ends in my good. Even if I can't see it on the front end, I know it's leading me to good. So he's talking to me now about sacrificing the son that he promised unto me, but I know his character now. I know he's good and I know he loves me. So I can go ahead now and act this out because somewhere in this it's going to turn to my good. Here's why the author of Hebrews then gives us insight that it says that Abraham had already received Isaac back in a figure from the dead. He says, even if I kill him, God got to raise him up because he loves me and I trust him. I trust him. He's a good father. He can never let me down. I trust him. Come on. Somebody said, I trust him. I trust him because I know that he loves me. Praise God. Verse 15 goes on and says, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have been have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Man, I got to back up to verse 16. Have you ever been in that spot where where you you you, you need it and nobody was given? And you didn't want to ask. I come on this side. You, you didn't want to ask, but you're talking to God. 
and you hoping God going to speak to somebody and somebody going to come up and bless you or something. You need it, but ain't nobody giving. <laughs> Here it is now, this prodigal son, he's in, he's in great want, and no one was giving him anything. Verse 18 says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. There's something within every man and every woman that recognizes that struggling and suffering is not what you were created for. So we, all, we, we always continuously fight to get on top. And here that son came to himself. Came to himself. Despite what he had done, we begin to see that the father receives him and embraces him. But the son is having issues right now. He's having major issues because he knows he's let his father down. He knows he's been out here doing what he never should have done. I give you this. There was a family, mother that moved to town. She had two two sons and she lived there, you know, with her two sons. And these two sons were were very interesting. If there was some trouble going on, you could always count on the fact that one of them was involved in it. Anywhere in the neighborhood, always, we knew it was one of them. So at the church that the mother went to and the two boys, a new pastor, you know, came in and began to pastor that, that church. And the mother goes to the pastor and says, look, I got two boys and I'm having a real difficult time with them. Would you please sit down with them, counsel them and help me? Pastor said, absolutely, I'll be glad to. And the mother says, fine, what, what can we do? Pastor says, well, look, bring the younger one in in the morning and then bring the, the older one a little bit later that afternoon. Mother says, that's fine. So she brings her youngest son, you know, to meet with the pastor. And uh, the young boy comes in, pastor says, sits down, and the pastor looks at him and says, son, where is God? And uh, the boy looks at him, doesn't say a word. So the pastor's like, okay, I'm talking to you, little boy. I said, where is God? And the little boy really kind of sits back in his seat, and his eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And so finally, you know, the pastor's like, okay, this, this, this boy is, is really being disrespectful here. He says, look, he kind of gets up and points at him and says, son, I said, where is God? The boy gets up screaming and runs out of the pastor's office, runs out of the church, runs down the street, runs into his house, runs upstairs, goes into the bedroom, and jumps in the closet and closes the door. His older brother saw it and says, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Comes to the closet and says, what's going on? What, what happened? The, the younger son says, man, God's missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> they were so used to getting in trouble, getting called on the carpet for everything. That was the lens that they saw everything through. So any question that came to them, they thought they were just in trouble. And they said, oh, my goodness, we didn't messed up and, and, and got, got rid of God somehow. I don't know if you've ever been, though, to a place where you least felt like you messed up so badly that there was no way you could come back from it. And this is how these two fellas and the younger son is feeling in particular. And this is how this prodigal son is feeling. Felt like I have messed up so royally. 
there's no way that I can ever really recover from this. And that's why his mindset is, I'm going to go back home, but when I go, I'm going to ask for a demotion because I don't feel like I really deserve anything better than that. So we keep reading. Verse, oh, let's see, 21, I guess. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more or no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Man, I love this. Another character point we see from the heart of God is that he constantly longs for us and lives with this undying hope that his children will uh, live united with him. God wants us badly, man. I mean, he wants us bad, praise God. He wants us bad, and he wants us badly growing with him, praise God. The the second or the next point is he's incredibly loving, paying no attention to past discretions. When this prodigal son returns home and wants to kind of give him the story of, I don't belong to be your son because what I've been out here doing, notice the father's response was, wasn't I told you. I knew you'd come back. Yeah, you ran out of money, didn't you? <laughs> or, or like I used to hear, I remember I used to hear this, you know, growing up, this was a favorite, uh, you know, slogan in my household, a hard head make for a soft behind. Anybody else ever heard that before? Praise God. You had a soft behind, I know. Amen, praise God. He doesn't respond to him that way at all. He's paying no attention to the past indiscretions. Then we see that he's active, not passive in our reconciliation. When when the son makes the decision to come home, notice the position of the father, that he's looking for him. The father's not going about his normal business. It's just like, I'm just going to do whatever I do. And if he come home, he come home. If he don't, he don't. Don't make me any difference. No, the father is looking for him. And it says that he sees him afar off. And it's the father now that runs to the son. The son doesn't run to the father. The father now is running to the son. See, faith is really the, the, the substance that picks up on, on God's radar. See, when you respond to God in faith, it gets God's attention. And watch this. And whatever step you've taken to God, his steps towards you are always far more aggressive. God, God says, you think you want me, but I want you. See, we sing like the song we were singing in worship today, all I want is more of you. I believe that's the cry of heaven's heart. It said, all I want is more of you. The ones that I paid, you know, blood for, the one that I've laid everything down for, the one that I live and breathe for, all I want is more of you. He's driving for us. And when he gets there to his son, Completely ignores that little silly statement that his son makes about, you know, let me be a servant now. First thing the father does says, give me the best robe. I want the best robe because my son is dealing with an identity problem. He walked away from here as a son and now he's trying to come back as a servant. That'll never happen in my family. You walked away as a son, you're coming back as a son. Bring me the best robe because I want him to remember who he really is. He says, Nim, now, I want you to bring me now a, a ring to put on his finger. 
See, that ring was, was very customary for the wealthy and the dignitaries in the land, but it, it represented now he was putting him back in his office. Says, son, now, even though you've been gone, what is yours is still yours. Step back into your place. He says, and also, somebody bring me some new shoes because I need for him to make sure he understands what his real destiny is. And I don't want anything that he may have picked up over there in that harlot land to now go into and ruin his inheritance for his future. I don't want him to have any remembrance of what it was he did. Put some new shoes on his feet. And then, if that wasn't enough, he breaks out the fatted calf. Now, this is amazing to me because the the fatted calf was a Jewish family's most prized possession. They they had nothing more valuable than that. And they took maybe years of preparing that fatted calf traditionally for a feast unto the Lord. But when this son comes home, the father says, this is what the feast of the Lord are all about. Son's coming home. He says, bring me that fatted calf. Don't, don't, Don't give me a good calf. Don't, don't give me a medium calf. I want the absolute best we have. We are going to celebrate and celebrate big because my son, not a servant, my son has come home. See, this is a good father. And see, when you recognize just how good God is, then the decision just to run with him and to do whatever it is he needs becomes easy. Easy, praise God. Easy. Notice in verse 24. It says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Notice the servant. I'm going to point this out. Notice the servant refers to this, this, uh, the prodigal son as the elder son's brother. He says, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. The elder son, verse 28, was angry and would not go in. Stop, pause. What must you be dealing with? That your son or your brother, as far as you may know, could have been dead. Comes home, there's a party for him. And because you are dealing with something, you won't even go into the party. You won't even go in to acknowledge the fact, I'm glad you are alive. They they didn't know if he was even alive. He wouldn't go in. But then notice the character of the good father. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Man, this is a good daddy. This is a good daddy. This is a picture of the kingdom. The father now. Is busy celebrating and throwing a party for his son who's come home. He gets word now that his elder son is outside the house mad. The father doesn't go outside and say, boy, what is wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? Get your behind in the house. Your brother is here. No, it says he pleaded to him. Watch this. In other words, he ministered to where his son was hurting. Just like he did with the younger son, now he shifts and starts to minister to where his elder son is hurting. He says, look, son, what's going on here? And then in verse uh, 29, so he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. 
And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, what, what, what? <laughs> come on, come on now. You know how it is. You, you get upset, be like, that's your child. You know, no, no. <laughs> come on, come on. It's our child. Amen. See, he's speaking out of his anger. Says, soon as this son of yours, not, not, not his brother, but soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now, here, here's what the elder son is dealing with. He, he's struggling with religious thinking. And we have to learn how to avoid it. Religious thinking breeds a selfishness in people which always causes comparison, competition, and contempt. Always. You're not going to get away from it. It's always going to lead you to a place where you're comparing yourself you're competing with somebody else, and you're going to develop a sense of contempt towards them. And the elder son wouldn't even go into the house because he's stuck into this religious thinking. Truth of the matter, both of them are. Both sons are stuck in this religious thinking because at the end of the day, what, what you find with this attitude of religion, it really is reflective right here. Because I do more, I'm entitled to more. Or watch this. Or because I've done less, I'm entitled to less. Used to say when I was coming up a little bit, you know, something, something happened to you. You know, you did something wrong and then something bad happened to you. And then we used to make statements like this. God don't like ugly. <laughs> in, in other words, you just got what you deserve for what you just did. Because it was our mindset. If you do more, you're supposed to get more. If you do less, well, you're not really entitled to less. But see, that's a very religious way of thinking. And what the father was trying to communicate to his elder son and his younger son is that what you are entitled to has nothing to do with what either one of you have done. It has everything to do with who you're connected to. Because you're connected with me, the Father, then everything that I have belongs to you. Whether you go away and come back or whether you stay and, and never, quote unquote, make a mistake, everything that I have is yours. Stop trying to get paid for what belongs to you as an inheritance. It's a religious way of thinking. Now, in this covenant that we live in, there, there is a reward system. But that's for another day. But the crux of what was taking place here, God was trying to help them understand what I have and what, what, what you are entitled to is not based upon what you have done. It's based upon the fact that you are connected with me. You know, I have four children and my oldest twin son, he runs on level 10 all day. He is high energy. He only knows one speed. That's all in. He goes all out on everything. And it's funny though, when he's tired though, it's over. He'll, he'll, he'll drop on the floor in the middle of a supermarket and go to sleep. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not joking. It was like, where, it was like, where's Aiden? Where's Aiden? He's laying there on the floor sleeping. Just like, Lord help us. Because he just has a high motor. And with, with, our, with our children, 
if one of them makes a mistake, and because he's high energy, he's the, he's, he's the one that, that dares and does anything. So therefore, he probably gets into a little bit more than the other three. But even if he or one of the others, you know, makes a, some kind of mess up, his mother and I don't then take the position to say, okay, well, that's it for you. We're going to teach you a lesson. When you go to school tomorrow, you're going out there butt naked. You ain't wearing no clothes. You ain't getting nothing to eat. Now get your behind out of here since you didn't want to obey. Well, there's no parent that does that. Any parent that does that, praise God, need to be put up under the jail. But we wouldn't do that because we recognize there are consistent benefits that we afford to our children that's irregardless to their behavior. It's just the simple fact that they belong to us, that we make sure certain things they always get, regardless of what they do. Well, you need to understand something about your good father. There there is an inheritance that you are due and entitled to, not because of what you've done or didn't do, but just simply the fact that he is good and he belongs to you. Can the church shout amen? Yes, amen, praise God. Hallelujah. Now, very quickly here. Verse 31 says, And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Boy, that's very good. Notice that says it's a right. It's it's required. It's, It's necessary that we rejoice when someone gets connected with God. You know, and you connect with God on different levels. I, I remember there was a time when I got born again or saved, however you want to call it. And I saw some other people doing certain things. And on the inside, I didn't say it to anybody else, but on the inside, I said to myself, I don't want to be that saved. Okay, all right, see, all right. I, I, I said, what they doing, that, that's a little bit too much there. I, I don't want to be that saved. And, and, and then, you know, God in his sense of humor, somehow, you know, we speed up the modern day and he's got me doing, you know, far more than what I said I was going to do back then, praise God. Because there, there were connection points on different levels. Connecting with God, obviously coming into relationship, but, but then connecting with him then to say, God, you can use me. Whatever you need from me, praise God. I'm here, watch this, to fulfill your dream. So I'll do it. I'll go wherever you want me to go. That's how God got me from Michigan to Florida. I'd never been in Florida a day in my life. God came to me, spoke to me, said, I want you to go to uh, Jacksonville, Florida. I got up and stopped praying. <laughs> oh, very honestly, I did. I said, I, that's, that's not a part of my plan. <laughs> okay, all right. It, it was not a part of my plan. I, I got up and stopped. I, I, I stopped. I said, that's just, that came right from the devil. I know that came right from the devil. <laughs> I said, that's not a part of my plan. I already got a plan laid out. That ain't part of it. So let's just stop that. I probably had something, you know, to eat too late last night. Got, got back into prayer again, and the same thing kept coming up. Same thing kept coming up. And you know how it is. Many of us, many of us, many of us have had that emotional, spiritual moment. You know, maybe your hands were lifted up, and you said something like this, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I believe heaven was like, all right. I'm going to call you in on that. That's how God got me out of Detroit down to, down to Florida. And I hadn't been back since. 
to live. I mean, obviously, praise God. Amen. Now, let, let, me, let me fast forward here into a few things for us Be, because it's important for us to understand our role in this and how we connect with these things. How we connect with getting the fatted calf, how we connect with God's, you know, wonderful heart. We have to learn how to do just like what the prodigal son did. We got to learn how to come to ourselves. Got to come to yourself. At some point you gotta, in time, you got to come to yourself. You may have come to yourself at one point, but now you need to come to yourself at a deeper level now. And say, God, I'm willing to, to go with you wherever it is you need for me to go. I'll do whatever it is you need for me to do. You got to come to yourself. And when you come to yourself, we don't follow the, the, the instructional wisdom from, you know, uh, TV shows and things of that nature. When you come to yourself, notice what happened with that son. He came to himself and says, I can go back home. See, understand, understand the environment that the father had created for him. He created a safe environment for him. So when he came to himself, the son knew, I can go back home. You got to come to yourself. I, I believe it, it becomes imperative for, for all of us to, to have progressive moments where we come to ourselves and watch this, and we don't get amnesia. You, you, you remember with the, um, the disciples, they, they got nervous, you know, one time, you know, where, uh, you know, Jesus was giving them a story. It says, look, a little leaven, you know, leaven is the whole lump. And then the disciples was like, oh, my goodness, Jesus is saying that because we forgot the bread. And Jesus is like, you cannot be serious. <laughs> he said, you, you guys have just seen me feed, you know, 5,000, you know, men, you know, with, uh, with two loaves and, 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 and five fish or something like that. It was a bunch of, and, and then 4,000, praise God. He said, he says, you cannot be serious to think that what I'm talking about right now is that I need some bread. What happened? They had gotten forgetful. They had gotten amnesia of just how good God was, just how faithful Jesus was to them. And see, when you get amnesia like that, you got to come to yourself. About 27 years ago, I had my first come to myself moment. I was going to a college second year in college, and I had one of those plans and ideas alone by myself. And the idea that I came to alone by myself was, if I get out here and sell pharmaceuticals without a license, I can make enough money to pay for college, and I don't have to get these loans. That was the idea that I came to. I said, I, I don't think I want to take out any more student loans and nothing like that. I, I said, if I do this, I can just pay for it. And in my mindset, the end justified the means. Well, make a long story short, I got arrested behind that and wound up looking at a sentence of 14 to 50 years in prison. How many know I came to myself? I came to myself in a hurry. Most amazing thing that in this jail cell with me was the presence of Almighty God. I'm, 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 I'm drunk in the jail cell in, in, in misery and grief. And there's a Bible sitting up on the, the thing. 
uh, there's nothing else in there. There's a, there's, a, there's a shelf. It had a Bible on it. There's this, you know, steel cot with a little half mattress on it. There's this, you know, steel toilet with a little sink. That's it. And there's this Bible sitting up there. And I'm on this range of about 40 other cells. And I'm just thinking, you know, it's the normal thing. They put a Bible in everybody's cell, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, wow, what have I done to myself here? So for about three days, I slept about 68 hours out of the 72. You know, when you, when you, when you have a bad experience and you want to go to sleep hoping that you wake up and it was all just a dream, I did that for about three days and it was still the same. So finally, I make my way up out of there. And I'm curious, and I just start kind of walking the particular range, and I'm looking, and there's not another Bible on the floor. I'm like, huh, interesting. So that night, I have a come-to-myself moment. And the Lord begins to deal with my heart and says, open that Bible. I open it. I don't know where anything is. And I'm broken on the inside because I know what I'm facing. I know what I've done. It's not mistaken identity. I did it. I opened it up and just like highlighted on the, on the scripture, on the Bible for me, was this one verse of Psalm 119, verse 9. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to my word. And the Lord just began to minister to me. He says, son, I'm still here with you. It does not matter to me what you have done. What I've spoken about you, what I've declared over you shall still come to pass. But I need you to respond to me. And that day I did, September 18th, 1989. And I never turned back since then. There's a lot more to it, but our time is really of essence. So let me just fast forward to this, this last verse I want to show you. should be the very last slide. Be, be, because of God being such a good father to you and, and to me, never forget this verse because this is a promise unto all of us. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 through 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Just like it was not left unfulfilled for Israel, neither shall it be for your family. And I love this last phrase. Everything he has spoken came true. See, everything that Almighty God has spoken about you, your family, is coming to pass. And it will not be stopped because you made a mistake. Because you got a good father who loves you and is committed to you and he's going to get you all the way to your destiny. It's time for you to celebrate your fatted calf and rejoice and give God praise. Hallelujah. Please stand up on your feet with me right here. And let's just honor God for a moment. Come on, lift up your hands and just help me to bless him right here. Father, we honor and magnify you. We worship you and adore you, sir. Come on, open up your mouth with me. 
Tell him just how good he is unto you, praise God. You are a good father who loves us, praise God. We refuse, Father, to be bound by religion, praise God. But we embrace this wonderful relationship and this covenant that you have with us. Thank you so much, Daddy, for always pursuing us, never giving up on us, always coming hard after us, and being committed to get us, praise God, to your absolute best. Father, we're hungry for you. Yes, you said those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled, shall be completely satisfied. So fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord, because we stand hungry and thirsting, Daddy, to see your absolute best. Not just simply in our lives, but in our communities, in our families, in our church, praise God, in this city, in this state, and in this nation. Father, you recognize the changes and the manifestations that are needed in our country at this time. And Daddy, we recognize that the church, that we have always had the answer to help us, Father, to release it according to your will. We give you praise and glory and honor for you indeed are good. In Jesus' name, if you agree with you, say amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, every head bow for a moment, please. Every eye closed in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. Listen very closely to me. If you're here this morning, and for whatever the reason, Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, then I want to pray for you, and I want to pray with you. This is what this is all about. Being connected first with God in relationship. And relationship, yes, it does mean that you need other people. Other people that's in relationship with him, i.e. the church. So if that's you, let me pray for you. Let me pray with you. Or maybe you're here and you're not sure about that connection. Now, if there's anything in life you have to be sure about, this is it. That you belong to God, God belongs to you, and nothing can change that. You are forever his son or daughter. So if that's you, you need to walk out of here today being sure. Let me pray for you. Let me pray with you. Or lastly, not, not lastly, thirdly, if you're here and maybe...